So uh, I'm sure you have, but have you ever been to one of those restaurants that um, when you sit down, they hand you a, a menu or what you think is a menu, but really like it's, an, it's like a full-fledged novel, you know? And uh, it's, it's like, a, like a volume of warm peace. I mean, it's just like you open it up and it's just page after page after page of, of different menu items. And they're all in like size 10 font. And you're, you're looking at this and you're thinking, I, it's going to take me 20 minutes just to walk through this menu to figure out uh, what I want. And, and, you know, there's, there's not enough time. And it's, you know, it's one of those restaurants where normally the waiter would take you forever, to, forever to like get to your table. But in this particular, uh, in this particular restaurant, like they're ready immediately to take your order and they show up and they're like, Hey, uh, so are you guys, are you guys ready to, to order? And, uh, and you're looking at this menu and you, by the time you've looked at it, you've got like 10 different places or 10 different things that you're interested in and you're walking through it uh, and, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to order. There's just too many options, right? There's too many options. I've had this happen uh, on shopping trips with my wife. She wants, she's like, I, you know, I could have this one and this one and this one and this three. I got three or four different things that I want. Uh, there, I've, got, I've got too many options to choose from on this shopping trip. My personal pet peeve in life, and my staff knows this, is the Coke freestyle machine. Like that's, uh, yeah, I heard, yeah, there, uh, there's other people with me, right? Like the Coke freestyle machine. Like, I don't know, 250,000 different soda options. I think we've come to the end of the line where we don't need anything more than that. And, and so, like, you're, you're standing there, and there's only one machine, and some dude's in front of you trying to decide between, like, vanilla root beer and strawberry Fanta, and you're just like, for the love, move, right? Just pick something. I don't care what it is. Just pick something. It, it, I'm a little hot about it. All right, so I don't... Uh, I don't like that machine. You just need a couple options and you're good to go, right? We like our options in America. We don't like the decision between yes and no. We like a third way or a fourth way or a, in the case of the freestyle machine, 250th different way. Uh, we, we like different options all over the place. Uh, and we're not comfortable with just deciding between one thing or the other, or just yes and no. Uh, and so we, uh, we come sometimes to a place where we come to the scripture, we come to the Bible, and uh, we come to an impasse. Because guess what? God doesn't have moments of I don't know, right? He knows everything. He's pretty clear about what he wants to accomplish and what he wants to do. And his commands are pretty black and white. There's not a whole lot of gray area as it pertains to God. There, he knows what he wants. He says what he wants. And therefore, we should do uh, what he wants. And so we walk at great risk when we decide that whatever God has said is optional where we can decide, ah, maybe he really didn't mean that. Or maybe that's just one of the many options that he's given to us. So if you've got a Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 3. If you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a copy of the Bible. And we've got them at our Connect table. Uh, and then you can look on the YouVersion app, Holy Bible app, uh, my notes and all the scripture we will do. Today's a little bit of Bible drill, uh, so we will be looking at several different scripture passages today. Uh, so uh, if you 
but you don't have to turn to all of them. It's probably easiest to get on your phone uh, and look through the scripture passages. You can look on the live event section of YouVersion, uh, but primarily we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 3, so you can turn there. Now, before I get to Matthew chapter 3, I want to go over a very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 28. You can turn there. You don't have to turn there. It doesn't matter. Uh, but a very familiar chapter in, uh, in, in Scripture, Matthew 28, and a very familiar passage because I think it's going to give us some framework for what we're going to be talking about today. Okay? So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, this is where Jesus shows up on the scene as an adult for the first time, and it basically is the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to skip all the way to Matthew chapter 28 and see what his final words were at the end of his ministry before we see what was at the beginning. Are you tracking with me? Say, I'm tracking with you. Awesome. Cool. Okay, good. Okay, so you might be quite familiar with this verse. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Now there is one... In this whole passage, there is one non-optional command in this specific passage that Jesus gives to us with three non-optional parts to that one command. Okay, so we got one non-optional command with three non-optional parts. So let's just look at it for a second. Let's break it down. The non-optional command in this passage is make disciples. That's what he's telling us to do. Jesus' commission to us, what we are supposed to do ultimately as a church, is to make disciples. Uh, it's the only imperative in the text, and this is what Christians are called to do. Now, let's look at the three um, non-conditional or non-optional parts to this. First, he says to go, or as you are going. That's the original language. As you are going, meaning that in order to make disciples, it's going to take movement. It's going to take us moving as a church. We can't just expect for people to come to us. That would be like going out fishing, wondering if the fish are going to jump into the boat. That's not going to happen. You have to go after the fish, right? And so there, it takes movement. We have to get going. That's the first thing. Number, the second thing that we see is that he says, teach. You have to teach them. You have to proclaim truth. We have to open our mouths with conviction and say, here's the truth. We're going to proclaim the good news to you. Now, most of the time with those two things in particular, we as Christians are pretty comfortable with those two things. Yes, we should be on the move. And yes, we should proclaim something. We should have something in w to which we say and proclaim, okay? And most of us are pretty good with that. Like, sure, I got it. We have to move. No, no problem. Got to move. And then the second thing, teach. Yes, it's not going to happen. People are not going to be become disciples unless something comes out of our mouth as it pertains to the Christian imperative to make disciples. But there's one of these, there's one thing, one of these non-optional pieces to making disciples that we like to consider optional. And we get kind of squeamish about it. Did you notice the one thing that I left out? There was one thing in this command that I did not mention. And it's this. Baptism. Baptism. It says, go, make disciples, and baptize them, and teach them. Make disciples by going, 
and baptizing them and teaching them. Now, so this is what we're going to be. This is what we're going to be walking through today. This whole idea of Christian baptism. What does that mean? So let's look at just a definition of what baptism is. Baptism is an outward symbol of what has happened on the inside. Now, if you've been at the Church of Cane Bay or anywhere else where they've done baptisms by immersion, this is what I'm talking about. We usually have this little, this little pool right here. It kind of looks like a hot tub. All the kids want to know if it's a hot tub, right? Okay. And so we have this little pool right here, and people get in there, and, and they get dunked underneath the water, and they give testimony to the fact that they believe in Jesus Christ and that he is the Lord of their life, and they're promising to live for him for the rest of their life. And it's a public proclamation at the Church of Cane Bay. We have a really great time, and everybody goes nuts, and it's a lot of fun, okay? Um, so that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Baptism, the outward symbol of what has happened on the inside. And when someone has been saved by Jesus, here's the deal. When somebody gets saved and their soul gets transformed, this is an internal thing. It's within the spirit of the soul. The spirit of the person goes from death to life. There's not a whole lot of immediate external change. It's not like somebody's skin color changes or if they, they lose freckles or pimples. Like, that's not, that's not what happens, okay? It's all that, all that happens, all that Jesus does is on the inside. There's not a whole lot of external change. And so, therefore, Jesus gives us this direct commandment, or what I would say is a non-optional commandment, to have an external celebration of what has happened on the inside to make a public proclamation that Jesus has changed someone's life, that that person has changed allegiances, right? Now, in the 21st century, we like salvation. Salvation sounds good to us. The idea of it sounds good. The idea of transformation sounds good to us. We're good with the idea of eternal security, meaning that we know when we are to die that we are going to go to heaven to be with Jesus, all of us like that. I don't think there's anybody that's like, you know what, I'll try the other side. Nobody, likes, nobody wants to do that, right? Everybody likes the idea of salvation. Everybody likes the idea of eternal security. But for whatever reason, we get a little squeamish about this whole idea of baptism. And I think it's, it's like this, this idea that we don't like permanent public accountability. We don't like the idea of permanent public accountability. And it's socially awkward for us. If I make a decision to go public with my faith, it would be really hard for me to go back on it if I decided to change my mind. A lot of people would have seen me do something public, and therefore it'd be a little bit weird for me to say, no, I didn't really mean that. And we want the option to change our mind. And so we're not going to go in that direction. Now, what's interesting about that perspective is that the New Testament knows nothing, or in fact, the entire Bible knows nothing of that option. It's just simply not there at all. So let me read a couple texts to you, a couple stories in the book of Acts that are going to prove this to you. It'll be up on the screen, okay? So what we'll see here is several stories of what I'm, what I'm talking about in the book of Acts, or this is the story of the, um, of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says this, 
Now, when they heard this, meaning the crowd who was hearing Peter preach to them the gospel, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, get this, this is what Peter says, what are we going to do about this gospel thing? Repent and be, what's the word? Hmm. Interesting. Okay, every one of you, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then we skip forward a little bit to Acts chapter 8, verse 9 says this, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying the man, this, this man is, is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, meaning another missionary, when they began to believe Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were ah, baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip after, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now here we go to Paul. This is Paul's conversion. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying, laying his hands on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, uh, the, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off, fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was whoop, baptized. Okay. And taking food, he was strengthened. And we have the Philippian jailer, a little later in the scripture, verse, uh, I think this is verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 30. Then, we, he, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Do you think that they took seriously the command of Jesus to be baptized? These are the first stories of the first conversions to Jesus. Every single one of them. They got saved and they were baptized. Saved, baptized, saved, baptized. I think they took seriously the command of Christ. When someone gets saved in the New Testament, they are therefore baptized. Story after story proves the New Testament church didn't take it as an option but necessary obedience to a direct commandment of God. So, let's turn to Matthew chapter 3 and see why that this is such an important issue and see why this is not an option. So Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, this is where Jesus himself is baptized. So two weeks ago, we heard from my good friend, Michael Graham, and he preached on John the Baptist. Now, we call him John the Baptist because it uses the word baptizo, okay, which literally means dunking or dipper, right? Amaze your friends by calling him John the Dipper, right? That's pretty much what it was, right? He, is, he declared the coming of the kingdom of God, and he says, literally, I'm going to dunk you or dip you as an act of repentance. John's baptism, now this is before Christ's ministry, John's baptism was a symbol of one who repented of their 
since. And thousands of people were coming uh, to John to be baptized, okay? So thousands of people. Imagine all these people on the riverside. John's out there preaching, and people are getting baptized as a symbol of their repentance, okay? Kind of this idea of cleansing. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and wants to and says that he wants to be baptized. So Matthew chapter 3 Verse 13 through 17 says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up, get that, okay, went up from the water, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so Jesus shows up on the scene uh, and asks John to baptize him. Remember from last week, we learned that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. And so therefore, he never sinned, never did anything wrong in his entire life. And so John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't have to repent of anything. He had never sinned in his whole entire life. So he shows up on the scene and John knows this about Jesus. And he says, whoa, this is a baptism of repentance. And Jesus, is, Jesus says, listen, we have to do all of this to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. Okay, if this is what you want to do, I'll obey you, Lord. But I don't get it. I don't understand why you need to be baptized. You're not anywhere close to any of these other people that I'm baptizing. You're different. You're holy. You're pure. And he says that he needs to come to fulfill all righteousness. So why was Jesus baptized? If you're a note taker, I'll give you three reasons. All right? Why was Jesus baptized? And this is Jesus' way of saying, you know, I want to fulfill every promise that was made about me. Jesus wanted to come to walk in man's shoes to identify with his creation. And Jesus desired to walk as we walk, to struggle as we struggle, to be tempted as we're tempted, to suffer as we suffer. He wanted to be in our shoes. And so therefore, he wanted to fully identify with sinners. Jesus wanted to step into our shoes. He wanted to be amongst us. He knew that he was not going to be like us in every single way because he was going to be pure and holy. But he did want to step and identify into our world, not as a symbol of repentance, but basically saying, I'm going to attach myself with humankind. And I'm going to identify with the death of manhood and just like sinners. See, see this is what we'll see this throughout Jesus's ministry, that he at the center of his world was attaching himself to other sinners. Jesus was popular with sinners. He was very unpopular with religious holy people. He was always invited to the parties. He was always amongst dining with people who would be considered sinful. He was always with the outsiders. He was always identifying with the people who were down and out. And the religious people got really mad at him for that because he would associate with the ungodly. We, church, have to follow that example as well. That we associate with people who are the ungodly, the people who desperately need Jesus And we are to associate with them and identify with them. Secondly, we see Jesus wanted to set an example for us. 
Jesus wanted to set an example. Not only did he want to identify with us, he wanted to set an example. So the call of the disciple, he said to make disciples, is pretty simple. You want to live like Jesus or be imitators of Jesus. Jesus knew that he wanted followers that would later be his church to walk as he walked and do what he did. And he wanted them, if he wanted them to follow him completely. He wanted them to be baptized. He knew that he was going to command his church to do this. So why would he not do something that he wanted his church to then do? Did Jesus need to be baptized? No, it was just an example. It was an example that he wanted his followers to do. So in the same way that Jesus didn't need to be baptized, and this is where things get a little, I want you to track with me. The same reason that Jesus didn't need to be baptized is the same reason that we don't need to be baptized either. Baptism isn't necessary for salvation. Now track with me here for just a second. I want to be very clear on this point. Baptism has never and will never save anybody, ever. That's not its job, okay? We are saved by faith, placing our faith in Christ, him giving to us grace. That's how we're saved. Unmerited favor. That Jesus gives us grace. And there's, there's numerous stories in the scripture as well of people who come to faith in Christ and are not baptized, but yet God calls them forgiven. The most notable is the thief on the cross. Okay, You have this man who's being crucified right next to Jesus, starts talking to Jesus. They have a little bit of a dialogue. And he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus speaks right back to him, merely moments before this man is going to die. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, <laughs> did somebody come and take that guy off the cross and dunk him in a pool? No, that didn't happen. But Jesus proclaims him to be saved because of his faith and because of the grace that Jesus gives to him. Right? So we see that example. We see that baptism isn't necessary for salvation. We also see in Acts chapter 19, you have people who are, who are saved by Jesus, but yet not, had not been baptized uh, yet. Uh, they later do get baptized, but they hadn't been baptized yet. So <clears throat> just like Jesus did not need to be baptized for his sin, we do not need to be baptized for our own salvation. However, let me, put, let me put the big however, we still, need, we still see that he was baptized as an example that would later be commanded to his followers. So here's how I want you to think about baptism. Baptism isn't necessary, but it also isn't optional. Let me say it again. Baptism isn't necessary, but it also isn't optional. Meaning that for those of us who come to faith in Christ, we now know the knowledge of this commandment. It's not an option for us. It's not the Coke freestyle machine where we get to decide which part we want and what we don't want. When we know the truth of what God is commanding us to do and we don't do it, then it gets a little dicey. And let me just share with you what the scripture says about that exact thing. James, in, James 4, 17 is a very short verse. It means it says this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now let me stop for a second. Because there's a couple of people that I want to recognize who are in the room. 
okay, who are listening to my voice. I might lose a couple. I might lose some of you. So let me just address you for a second. First, I want to address you. If, if you are a Christian, a believer in Christ, who has already been baptized as a, as a, uh, as a knowledgeable, conscious believer immersed in water, okay? There's a lot of you in this room. Some of you are baptized in the church of Cain Bay, right? I'm, gr- I'm grateful for you, but you will have a tendency over the next couple minutes to check out because you checked the box. You did what was right, and so therefore the rest of the message isn't for you. That's not true because you are a missionary disciple and your job is to make disciples, and part of making disciples is telling them and proclaiming the truth that Jesus loves them and wants them to repent and be baptized. So it, it, would, it would behoove you to know this information, right? So you're going to be teaching it, so it, it's good for you to know it. So don't think that just because you've done this correctly doesn't mean that you could check out. Secondly, and I want to be real gentle here and cautious if you're in this room and you're a believer and you've come to faith in Christ and you, are, you know and you have that eternal security, but yet this is stepping on your toes because you haven't been baptized as I'm speaking about. Let me just, just allow you to breathe for a second because you didn't come prepared for this sermon. I get it. Like you didn't expect me to step on you this hard. Let me just tell you to breathe. It'll be okay. I just want you to walk with me a little bit. Don't get defensive. Just walk with me. I'm not here to push on your emotions. My job is to share truth with you and then give you the opportunity to then respond. Because let me, let me summarize for you what I've already said and what I've already proven. I've proven to you that the word baptism means to dunk or to dip, to immerse into water. There are other words in the Bible that mean sprinkle or pour or spread. And those words are used throughout Scripture. They are not used in per, as it pertains to this thing. Whenever it talks about baptizing people, it talks about immersing them in water after they have become a believer in Christ. The second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus was baptizo, baptized. That he went down into the water and that he was baptized by John when he was an adult. And number three, the New Testament evidence that we've already seen, all those stories that I've read to you, overwhelmingly points to baptism as, necess- as, as, um, as a necessary step after salvation. So we see those facts. Okay, so we see that Jesus um, wanted to identify with sinners. We see that he wanted to do this as an example. Third reason why Jesus was baptized and this is probably the most important thing. Jesus was baptized to foreshadow salvation. To foreshadow salvation. Jesus knew his purpose in the world. You believe that Jesus knew years before he was crucified that he was going to die for the, for the, for the sins of mankind? You know what that would do to you if you knew that your job was to be crucified and tortured for the sins of mankind? He knew it. And so he walks up to John who is doing this baptismal cleansing ritual. He doesn't quite understand all that it has to offer. And he walks up to John and he says, I'm here to be baptized. I'm pure, I'm holy, I get it, I know. And John says, hey, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus is like, no, we need to fulfill all righteousness, meaning that I need to show these people what this whole thing is about because you really don't get it. 
When Jesus is baptized, it turns from a symbol of cleansing into a symbol of death and resurrection. And so you see when Jesus, when John lowered Jesus down into the water, it changed to being a symbol for burial, that Jesus would one day be buried in a grave. And when he was raised up and stood up out of the water, as the Bible says, it says this is a symbol for the victory over death for resurrection. And then immediately, get this, as soon as this happens, as soon as this amazing symbol happens of death and resurrection, the heavens open and God speaks and, te- and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, God loves obedience. Jesus is just doing what the Father has called him to do. And the Father speaks towards the obedience of his Son. And so likewise, when we enter into the waters of baptism, we are not being cleansed of our sin. Jesus has already done that through grace, through faith. He's already done that as an internal act of saving one's soul. You are already forgiven, name written in the book of life, All that, there's newness to life because you've stepped, just because you've stepped into a pool doesn't mean that you got saved. That should have happened before that. We're just basking in God's grace at that point. The the baptism waters are foreshadowing what will one day happen in the future. Now here's the deal, guys. One day, I'm gonna die. And maybe there might be people that'll grieve me. I don't know, maybe you'll be there. Um, Hopefully not, it's weird. Um, anyway, one day I'm going to die and there might be people who will grieve. I hope they don't grieve for long because I've been buried and my soul and spirit are with Jesus since the best day of my life, right? And when I got baptized, when I was 11 years old, none of, none of you were there to experience that. But when I was dipped into that water, that was a picture of my death. And when I was raised out of the water, that was a picture of my resurrection that will one day happen in the future. <clears throat> The imagery of the foreshadowing of salvation is lost in any other form of baptism. And that's why this is important. This important imagery is lost. So let me speak for a few moments to my friends who were baptized as infants and children in some other type of denomination. Remember I said that, that baptism isn't necessary for salvation. Uh, therefore, listen, we're, because you have been saved by grace through faith, right? Because of that, we will share heaven together. We will share glory together, and that will be a good, glorious day. And I think it's possible to be on two sides of this issue and still share heaven together. I have friends and, in fact, heroes in the faith who would not be on the same page as me on this. So let me quickly explain their position and probably the position that the reason why you might have been baptized as an infant. The first is, in people who believe in infant baptism, it comes from a long, long, long history of when people, when the church and the state were one together. After about 300 to 400 AD, the church and the state began to intermingle together to the point where the church and the state were basically one. And for you to be a specific nationality was to be a Christian. You could not separate those two things. And so in order to prove 
your loyalties to your country, one became a Christian, and normally if your family was a Christian, therefore they just went ahead and made you a Christian, so to speak, at birth. And so they baptized you at birth, and you became not only a citizen of what they believed of the church, but you also became a citizen of your country abiding by that country's laws and rules. Now, that was, a, that was a long time ago, so most of us don't know that that's what usually was happening, but that's what was happening. The second thing, which is a little bit more palatable to me, is that infant baptism is often, is often paralleled with the Jewish rite of circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom, she'll tell you. Um, this is to say that circumcision in the Old Testament was a tangible way, a physical way, to show that someone was part of the family of God. And so therefore they take that ritual and then just say, they carry it over into the New Testament and say the ritual of circumcision is now the ritual of baptism. And so, because, and so you're then born into the family of God. Although I don't see necessarily sin in these two things. I simply do not see that they're congruent with what we see in Scripture. I don't see how you can prove that biblically. And this is not to say, so get me wrong, don't, I want to be cautious. And I want to be really humble here. This is not to say that your parents were wrong. This is, this is I mean, they, they definitely believe what they were doing was dedicating you to the Lord. Was saying, I want to give this child over to the Lord's service, or I want to say, hey, I'm looking forward to future salvation. I'm not really sure what their understanding of it was, but it's not like they were in sin. They were actually trying to do what was, what was right. The only problem is, is it's quite dangerous. The reason why it's dangerous is because people who were baptized as infants begin to understand or are taught that because they were baptized as an infant, therefore they will receive eternal glory and they already have received the grace that they need, but they haven't. And that's scary. That someone can have a false hope that just because they were sprinkled with water means that they're a Christian. No, the Bible is very quite clear that the only way to faith in Christ is, is through the grace that he has given and acceptance of that forgiveness of a conscious believer. Jesus tells Nicodemus in a very famous story in John chapter 3. Him and Nicodemus are having this conversation, and Jesus says something very odd to him. Remember this story? He says, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Meaning, let me put that in normal person speak, unless someone becomes a Christian, they will not receive heaven. Now, the two words, born again, are pretty hard for Nicodemus to get. He can get the idea of being born, but what troubles him is the again. How can someone be born again? That's the hard part. Jesus is making an emphatic statement about salvation for someone who comes into a conscious decision to follow Christ. It's not one's parental decision. It's one's conscious decision on their own. What is important is not the born, it is the born again. So we have to be careful about what we do with those who are born. So here's my question to you. 
Are you ready to cut out the options and just be obedient? Now, you might have a ton of questions. I get that. And I want to, I want to spend time answering all of those questions. You might be feeling a lot of tension in your family history that if you were to make a decision like this, what I'm asking you to do, if you were to make a decision, that would cause ripples in your family. Lots of conversations. Christmas would not go as well this year as it did last year. I get, like, I get it. And there would be a lot of scratched heads. I get it. But listen, is it worth obedience? Is it worth following Jesus as the New Testament prescribes for you? Based upon the evidence of Scripture, are you ready to walk in obedience to Christ? So you see this ring on my finger. It's a very simple ring. It's a symbol. Now it symbolizes this. Um, Hang on one second. Yeah. Uh, So it symbolizes this. So when I was in Spanish class, my sophomore year of college, I uh, walked in and uh, I was late to class because I didn't like Spanish class. Sorry to Sorry to embarrass you Spanish scholars. Um, I walked into class, and I was late, and I was assigned to a grupo. That's group for you layman folks. Um, so I was assigned to a grupo, and my leader was a beautiful young lady named Adrienne Burnett. And I remember trying to impress her in my grupo. Uh, it wasn't going too well. And... Um, but I remember walking out of there and thinking to myself, I really like my Grupo leader. And uh, I think I'm going to do something about it. What's funny is that she couldn't even speak English to me. That was her assignment. So that was, that was pretty cool. And so I stalked her in a very biblical way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we started going out on a couple dates. And little by little by little. And I had made, made a decision in high school out of a out of a decision for purity, I had made a decision not to say I love you to any girl until I knew that I was going to marry uh, that girl or that woman. And, uh, and so I, I'd say all sorts of things. Like I'd say, I like you a lot. Like you, and we always cut each other, I like you more than you know, wink, wink, right? And uh, anyway, and then, and then one day it was quite clear. We started already talking about marriage, and um, it was quite clear that I had fallen completely in love with her, and she was in love with me, and we were ready to get married. Uh, and so I told her that I loved her, and she told me that she loved me back. And it was, it was just a beautiful thing. Now, <clears throat> all of that love was exchanged. It was, we were, we were going, we were headed towards marriage in a, in a clear, com- compelling way. And then one day we stood on an altar in front of everyone and publicly professed that love to each other and to everybody else. It was a powerful, powerful thing. And it's kept us together. Now this ring, she handed me this ring, and we made vows to each other, and I wear this ring. It's a symbol. Just like that day in front of everybody was a symbol. It, that day, it didn't, it wasn't our, co- that wasn't a covenant like that. Our covenant was the love that we had together, the vows that we shared together, but all the pomp and circumstance, all of that was symbolic of what was already happening inside. Baptism is the same thing. This ring, if I took it off and I threw it out in the audience and I never wore it again, it would never mean that I'm not married to Adrian 
the covenant with us is a biblical covenant that we've been placed together for life. And nothing, just taking off a ring isn't going to end that because the ring is just a symbol. The ceremony was just a symbol. Just like baptism, everything happens beforehand. All of the love, all of the grace, all of the faith happens beforehand. But you have this public proclamation of what has happened in your heart. That's what baptism is. So believer, let me, let me tell you this. We, are, we want to build missionary disciples at the Church of Cane Bay. Missionary disciples. Not only disciples, but missionary disciples. So here's my question for you. If you truly want to be a missionary disciple, meaning telling people about the grace of Christ, telling people about what has happened in your life, and you tell them that my job is to go, and my job is to baptize, and my job is to teach, and you might be able to do the going part and the teaching part really well, and that person asks you, were you baptized? And you're like, no, no, I didn't want to do that. But you're asking me to do that? Yeah, because I'm supposed to fulfill what the Scripture says, but I don't want to do that. Is it possible for somebody to be fully a missionary disciple if you're willing to throw away a piece of what God has asked us to do? So I know it's been tough for some of you. Hopefully some of you this is encouraging. Um, but my hope is that maybe you would want to talk and dialogue about this. So if, you, if, you, if you're feeling in your heart, hey, I need to chat, I need to talk, I need to walk with somebody about this whole baptism issue. I want to talk with you about it. I'm going to be right over there. We have a couple other folks that are going to be right over there to talk to you about baptism. If you want to yell at me about your convictions about anything, just, just let me know. We can have a conversation. That's fine. But let's, let's make sure that we talk, okay? And I think we are, we're going to have another baptism service, October 23rd, I believe is the date. And if you want to be baptized in that, uh, in that service, I want to walk with you and talk to you about that, okay? So let's pray together. The uh, band's going to come up, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to do one more thing today in worship. Let's pray. Father, I recognize that there's probably some people in here that are encouraged and there's probably some people in here that are um, maybe a little distraught because they've been, they did not expect to come in here and be pressed so hard on an issue that is so close to their heart that um, they've probably thought about before um, and had some conviction about before but didn't know exactly what to do about it. So Father, I pray that you'd give them clarity in that conviction that because of that conviction that they would act um, to follow you in obedience so that they can be fully developed disciple who wants to be a missionary in our world so God I, I pray um, for, for us as a church to be united around this issue that it would not be a divisive issue but a, unify, a unification issue um, God I pray that hard truths would make soft hearts not harder hearts um, so God, thank you for, for an opportunity to, to walk through Scripture today, to see what it has to say, and to, um, Father, that we would just be soft to it. Um, so God, I pray for, uh, for folks just to walk in this. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing one more song together, but before we do that, um, I want to lead us in a time of uh, what's called the Lord's Supper or Communion. Um, the church really has two, what's called two ordinances. Uh, and these are things that, that as a church that God has called us to do repetitively for their symbol.